we are thrilled to have the Sparkle Twins as continuing sponsors for season four. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York, who began their business by creating customized Swarovski crystal-covered shoes for their fellow divas. Their business expanded pre-COVID to include mouth masks for musicians. In addition to protecting yourself from unwanted germs and conversations, the masks have cute phrases on them like, keeping my germs to myself, or I am on vocal rest. To check out their full line of products, visit www.sopranotwins.com forward slash shop and follow them on socials at The Sparkle Twins. Welcome to season four of My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers. After three seasons of incredible conversations, the podcast has grown and changed much like ourselves. We're still on a mission to connect, inform, inspire, and empower musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Because as we continue to hear from you and watch the opera industry struggle to change and grow, community, connection, and transparency are as important as ever. We're here to spill the tea on the inner workings of the opera life, to celebrate the artists who unapologetically create amazing, non-traditional paths for themselves, and to inspire each other to sing freely, make art truthfully, and to work fearlessly for a more equitable industry. I'm Elise. And I'm Marcel. And we're two sopranos currently living our best so-called opera lives. Welcome to this week's episode of My So-Called Opera Life Podcast. Today we have a really, really amazing and cool person to speak with us. Yes. Uh, Her name is Ellie Case. And actually, I can't remember all of her names, but she has other names too. Yes. And I think we talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, we do. One of them is Elise, I think. (laughs) She has uh, multiple like internet personas, depending on what genre of music she's singing in, because besides singing opera, being a classically trained singer, she is also a meditation practitioner. She is a like a film editing friction Mm -hmm. she works with friction films yes and she's also like a singer songwriter in the pop genre yes i had reached out to her because like i had she had become you know on my radar from instagram and i was just really interested to find out how she created this kind of different persona from her operatic persona and she has a really big following actually from from the work that she's done there and um it was really interesting so I I really asked her a lot of questions about how she had the gumption to you know step into a brand new world and create something completely different from yeah and I think like the most refreshing part of this interview that you'll hear the short version is just that like she kind of was terrified (laughs) and she talks about like how scary it felt to her to step into this new genre to be in a position like you know in the pop genre the artist is like so integral to the to the creative process like in the studio and Mm -hmm. so like she got to share her ideas and speak up and, and like the collaboration feels a little different in that space and you know, just to hear her like say like, yeah, I yeah. was terrified. Right. And and then I figured it out. And now I feel really comfortable. And really, it's about like, believing in your ideas enough to like, take that first step. And you'll find out that people are really excited. You'll find people who are just as yeah. excited about you, your idea as you are. But if you don't say it out loud, yeah, no one's never gonna know. I know the things that the two things that stuck out to me that I continue to remember are 
Number one, that she attributes a lot of her, like, finding her own voice from her meditation practice, mm-hmm. which I have a really hard time. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have a my meditation brain practice. Goes, it's it's inconsistent, uh, but my brain just is always going. And so it's very hard for me to be in a meditative space and just like see the thoughts go by and not <laughs> like I can do, yeah, it, like, do anything hard. about it's, them. And it really is a practice and I'm not consistent with it yet, but it is like a 2023 goal to be consistent with my meditation practice yeah this is a good one for the for the start of the new year year because it's really about creativity and inspiration and finding your voice so that stuck out to me and the other thing that stuck out to me was the collaboration component about how she looked for people and she just researched people that she liked what they were doing and liked kind of their things that they produced and she just reached out to them and just started working with them and I think it's really cool to just hear that it, you know, I, I, I believe that she had this like kind of specificity from like within that helped her find the right people. And that's really right. cool. Right. Well, and it's I think like the the way t- for me that I, I remember it dovetailing in terms of her meditation practices, because she was cultivating this space where she was kind of just observing her thoughts. And then that makes room for her to like hear some of the thoughts that maybe go unnoticed a lot of time to mm-hmm. kind of tap more into her, you know, her gut impulse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. allowed her when she like came across somebody whose voice was loud and something she liked. She was mm-hmm. able to like recognize that and be yeah. like, oh yeah, this speaks to me. This is a person that I want to see if maybe we can do something together. And totally. And I think that's an impulse so often we ignore. Mm-hmm. And she, on the other hand, is is very in tuned with that. So it was it was a a really, really interesting, deep conversation with lots of things to think about as we go our merry way into 2023. (laughs) Yes. Happy New Year, everybody. We hope you enjoy this episode of our podcast. So Ellie, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're calling in from. And thank you so much for being with us today. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to get your email. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling in from Brooklyn today and I struggle every day with how to best describe myself lately. <laughs> I'm an opera singer. I am, I guess I'm a composer. I am also a songwriter. I'm producing a lot of things these days. I have an indie pop project called Ellie Case that I'm very excited about. And I also am the artistic director, co-artistic director and co-founder of an organization called Frisian Films that puts classical music on film and new and interesting ways. So yeah, I I do a lot of different things. I'm also a yoga teacher and a meditation leader and a sound healer. So yeah, I I can't really describe it with one word. (laughs) Yeah. Not that's okay. Can, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the closest we can get to one word because you sound like so many of us in this field is a uh, Tara Priolo of previous guest. She she says a, a, a multi passionate musician. Oh, I love that. And I'm like, that's like, so like, that's just our everybody's brand, I think. <laughs> well encompassed. Thank you. Yes. Tara. Was it Tara? Yeah, Tara. Yeah. Thank you, Tara. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, we reached out because I saw that you had released an album, you know, and I also saw that you were an opera singer and I really wanted to find out more about that journey. And from what I could gather online, it seems like that sort of passion began really taking its its shape in the last couple of years in terms of that 
like songwriting and and like pop persona mm-hmm. so I just that was like the original impetus and of course then there's so many other parts of the multifaceted musician multi-passionate musician so I'm excited to get into that but I would love to hear about your album and like the pop songs and that whole process yeah yeah absolutely so long 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 story short I started my pandemic in Milan when the pandemic hit. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I was there for my first European audition tour as an opera singer, very entrenched in, in the opera world, only pursuing a career as a soprano and not really doing much else. And I, like most of us, ended up in the tornado and plopped on my butt with nothing to do for, for a bit there. And for me, honestly, the, the, the thing that, that led me the most to starting to create music again, because I, I used to write a lot when I was a teenager. I wanted to be a composer and a conductor when I was 12. And so for about four or five years there, I was very serious about that. And I wrote like this hilarious, adorable little pop album when I was 15. <laughs> but yeah, so what, what kind of brought me back to wanting to create music was actually my meditation practice. I'm a very passionate yogi. And I sort of dove into the meditation side of my yoga practice because I really needed to at the, at the beginning there where it was really dark. And I just started having these impulses to start writing and I had nothing else to do. And I was like, you know, like, why, why not? Like, I'm, I'm just going to see where this leads. And what started as me alone with my computer figuring out how Logic Pro works turned into this this beautiful collaborative project that I I didn't even know was on the table. So I, I ended up really enjoying the songs that were coming through and they were also very vulnerable and scary to me, especially like in the context of only ever pursuing opera you know, being honest about how I was feeling, being honest about having feelings of, of anger and feelings of frustration and radical self-acceptance became very important to me and very interesting to me. So I started to really enjoy that. And, and I, I wanted to share it, you know, I think that as artists, that's a key ingredient to what we do is, is, you know, offering what we create kind of without without any qualification or without you know like without any sort of judgment from us about it just right. I'm creating a thing now it's my my job to be of service and offer it in case it's helpful so yeah I was feeling that way about it but I knew that I was six months old at at working with these new electronic sounds and so I enlisted some help from from some producers and that that took a while I I really did my homework on people and talked to a lot of people about who might be the best for this project and had so many zoom meetings with a lot of wonderful wonderful musicians and you know the the perfect team ended up just materializing itself to kind of help me and and I I just have to say over and over and over again, how grateful I am to absolutely everyone who has come together to be a part of like the Ellie Case project in general, like, because as opera singers, we, we have a lot to do and we have a lot to learn and we train very hard and we are very busy, but I think sometimes we don't recognize how much work goes into so many other facets of music making and music creating. And I have been humbled and have learned so much and have been so graciously guided 
through this process in 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 making this turn by my team and so i just i thank my lucky stars every day for them can't say that enough but yeah so that's i'd say my meditation practice and and really wanting to to reach people in a more immediate way because you know it was during that time where we were all making like instagram videos of us singing opera arias and posting them all the time and it was like okay like yes there's beauty in that and that has its place and we're sharing things but like what we're experiencing right now is so heavy and so singular and so new for everyone and so dark for everyone that I don't know if these words from the 1800s are doing anything beyond me knowing I'm sharing a beautiful sound, you know what I mean? Or me knowing I'm sharing a beautiful poem. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to find a way to have words that, that were more immediate, I suppose, or, or might reach more people who were interested in music more generally, not just classical music. Yeah, that's great. I love that so much. You you spoke a little bit in the beginning saying that you're a composer and a songwriter. So as like two separate things, I wonder like, how do you view those things separately? Yeah, well, so that kind of, <laughs> I get confused about what I am. <laughs> so for Nisma, the, the record that you all found that is out, Nothing I See Means Anything. I definitely view that as more of songwriting. You know, I, I was writing melodies and, and chords and and then fleshing it out with my team. This the next I'm working on another record that's coming out in February. Actually, it's it's done. I'm not working on it anymore. <laughs> but this one, it really I really allow my classical roots to show in a different way. And so there are a few tracks where I have 40 plus vocal layers that are written in very, very new musicy sort of flourishy ways mm. where I use my classical sound and, and in an extended technique way as well. And so that I view more as as composition than as songwriting. Mm -hmm. And the songs on this next project are sort of a hybrid of, of pop and that like new music classical world sort of melding together. It's called Object Permanence and it's an exploration of spiritual permanence after death. And so I was using a lot of electronic sound and organic sound in the same space to sort of examine multidimensionality and multiple planes of existence and consciousness and things that we're able to sense and things that we're not able to sense and using sound in that way. So that feels more composery to me than, you know, a melody and yeah. words, but I do both things, but they're also in my mind, sometimes the same thing. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, it's like when we use the word classical music, which I sometimes hate because that's like sort of a specific thing but then this like general thing and then is new music classical music and like you know it's a little confusing so I get I get what you're saying it's interesting to hear you you know start to blend but also delineate between the two so <laughs> yeah yeah I think it's like it's this conversation is exactly why I'm like as I'm I'm working on a rebranding on myself I'm like I'm moving away from even like classifying my voice type and just saying vocal artist I love that. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know, like why I, I hate boxes anyway. So like, why am I? <laughs> I was just going to say it like that was literally the the thing I was just going to that was going to fly out of my mouth is like, I think that, you know, it, as humans, we have these obsessions with being able to name things and label things and, and categorize. 
And, you know, that's a function of the brain and it's an important function of the brain because it's how we survive on a lot of levels. But, you know, I think it can go too far. And I think, you know, as creative people maintaining that, you know, it's, it's still a boundary, (laughs) maintaining that boundary though, around that space of being like, I don't have to call it anything. I just have to do the thing that my impulses are telling me to do. It -hmm. doesn't matter really how it's described. I mean, if you think about like, you know, if you're listening to some inspirational speech or something, you don't really care what the person's credentials are or what they call themselves, where they went to school, blah, blah, blah. You care that they're moving you, mm-hmm. you know, you care that, that you're caring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, I think if we, we stay there and it's like, what makes me care, what makes me get a fire in my belly about what I want to do and screw everybody else, yeah. <laughs> you know, healthy contempt. Yeah. For a moment, you know, then, you know, then the creation can happen, whether that's interpreting something that exists already or making something new. But then, you know, we do have to find the means to be able to speak about it. So then it's right, like, right. if I had to say a thing, I guess I'd say these three things. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Oh, I love, I love this like intentionality about the labels we use. Cause like, just to what you're saying, I think like they can be helpful in us like finding our people and finding where we fit especially if we're a type of person that feels invisible or like we're alone but then like remaining flexible with those words and those boxes to be like but I can also stretch outside of them when they stop being helpful to me and I think that's a that's a lesson that's hard for all of us to learn especially in this industry that loves to like use the boxes to limit us mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. I saw one of your recent posts on Instagram of like, you know, the, the standard upcoming, you know, season announcement or whatever, quote unquote, but then in the comments, it was like, yeah, and just FYI, this is not all like the same kind of music, you might be in a bar, you might be in an opera house, you might be in Europe, you might be in the States. Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what to do. I mean, it's like I, my, my team and I are, are puzzled all the time, because it's like, they say the big quotes, they say it all should be integrated under one umbrella. And you know what the th- the truth is, it is because it's all me doing a thing, doing things, you know what I mean? Right, right. It is, it is all me. But like, I went back and forth so many times about how to share that information with people. It's like, do I do multiple posts? Do I do right. like, you know, that's a lot like I don't necessarily care to separate things that way. And in my heart, like singing for people is singing for people. And that's that. So well, I love that. I I love that it was like, it was kind of all in one. And (laughs) I know, I mean, it's it is confusing. It's hard to know, because you, you know, and it's not I mean, there's so many layers to that. It's not just one reason, but everything is you but then some people might be more interested in one or the other and like they're different products. So it's, it's confusing, but I love to, to see that. Yeah. And I know right now you, um, I think that you, from what I saw have like sort of two different websites. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. in opera, are you using Ellie case as well? Or are you? Yeah. So, yeah. So I have so many names. <laughs> This is another, this is the thing I need to figure out. <laughs> just, just because it's funny. Like I would just share with our audience that when I reached out to Ellie, I was like, hello, Ellie or Elise, um, whatever you want to be called is cool with me. 
<laughs> and I giggled. I definitely was like, yeah, <laughs> it's so well, so it's even crazier now because I just got married. So now I have my hyphenated name too, which is like, it's just so many names. Same. Yeah. But uh, so I, for the longest time, I've been Elise Kakasek in the opera world. And, you know, I have established a certain level of career there. And so it, it's a tricky thing to shift that. And, you know, I think that it's kind of like what you said earlier, like there's a group of people that is very interested in what I do in that way and in that vein that might not be as interested in this newer pop thing. So for for now, the solution is just to have, I have a link to the Ellie Case thing on my Elise Kakasik website. I am toying with the idea of shifting Elise Kakasik to Ellie Kakasik, and then I mean Ellie, so that it's a little bit more the same and people can connect those dots a little bit better. Ellie Case, I, I didn't even know I was gonna like have a real like moniker or anything, but right before I was gonna release Nisma, like with the body paint and everything like that, I was like talking with, actually, I think it was my brother and my mom. And I was just like, you know, like, I don't really know, should I do Ellie or Elise with this? Like, I don't really know what to call myself with this project. And Ellie just feels more right. Cause it's what my friends call me. It's what everyone kind of calls me. Elise has always felt very serious and <laughs> like professional, which is great. And I think it's, it's wonderful for like, just for me. And Ellie has been a little bit more, I don't know, attached to my identity, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So because the project was more vulnerable and personal, or it felt that way to me, because I was creating something new. I was like, okay, I'll go with Ellie, but Kakasic, like that's so long. No one can ever pronounce it. It's Czech. Like in the opera world, it's, a, it's like cool if someone can't pronounce your name, but in the pop world, it's like, people don't want that headache. So like, you know, they're not going to deal. And my, my, my papa, my dad's dad was a professional wrestler in the fifties. Okay. <laughs> it was like WWF of the fifties. We have all these pictures of my papa in like leopard print, like speedos with handlebar mustaches and like, amazing. yeah, my family is like super, like super fun. We have a lot of characters, but his moniker for his wrestling was Johnny Case. And I was like, you know what? I can just, I can use that. And it's kind of, it, it works. It's got all the letters of Kakasic in it. It's just, you know, and yeah, that was, that was kind of the decision that we came to in that conversation. That's great. Yeah. But now it's like a whole, a whole to do figuring out what my name is, where, and people are like, who's that person? And what does she do? I've, <laughs> I've shifted it in my bio now. When I do operas, I include a little sentence about Ellie Case. And then, you know, I hope someday, like my Ellie Case audience, like digs deeper and like discovers all the classical albums I've made. And yeah. is like, oh, what's this? I didn't know I would like Dvorak or, you know, whatever. Right. That's kind of a secret hope of mine with the indie pop project, because I do think that there's so much beauty to discover in, in kind of both separate worlds. Yeah. And I would like to yeah, incite that curiosity if I can. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So now that we are going back to opera gigs and auditions and things like that, how, how has it been like sort of re-entering that with like a, a new, a new lens, a new project, like a new side of your artistry? 
going into this season? Like, how are you feeling and what, what are you doing maybe differently this time around? Yeah. I mean, I think even just as a human, I think this probably is true of most people. Like I, I am a very different person than I was two, three years ago. And I think that there's, I'm much clearer on the things that I'm interested in tolerating for the sake of, of creating and the things that I'm not, there's, it's hard. It's kind of hard to, to articulate sometimes there, there can be this like glorified sense of servitude in, in the opera community for singers and, and this sense of when you're in the room, you do what you're told. And if you have ideas outside of what you're told, especially ones that might go against what you're told, you know, you risk not being hired back. You risk your cover taking over for you. You know, there's, there's a lot of that that can go on. And working in the more pop space has been, I mean, it's been challenging. I don't want to, I don't want to pretend like it's like pop world. It's great. And opera world is not because it's not that at all. They're just very different spaces. But I will say working outside of classical paradigms for the first time in a while, there is so much more room to have, like, to to be a meaningful piece of creation. You know what I mean? Like, it's like when you're in the studio with people, when you're on Zoom doing Zoom sessions, like, it's an open forum kind of space and people will be honest with you and be like, you know, I don't think that works or I think this works, but the sense of collaboration in creating something is a beautiful part of the non-classical world that I think that we suffer for missing when we're, you know, at the behest of, of, you know, only listening to the authorities, you know what I mean? In, in a pop space, it's kind of like everyone's an authority and like, you don't want to be an asshole. Like you're, you know, people don't want to work with you if you're going to be an asshole, <laughs> but like, you also are expected to be honest. Like it's not everyone's idea goes, people are very discerning and have their boundaries too, about what is appropriate for one song and not another one moment and not another, but the way in which those things are expressed is much more inviting, yeah. much more human (laughs) it's like it's like no one's judging you if you come to the table with a bad idea it's just like oh I don't think we're gonna use that but we're still gonna like hang out and be friends and I still value you as a person musician it sounds like it's a space that's like a little more open to experimentation Mm -hmm. and like the imperfection that lives in a a space that's open for experimentation where it's like okay well we're trying something so it's not going to be perfect Mm-hmm. And so, like, it, it's not a value judgment if we're like, mm, this idea was cool to try, but it's not exactly the right fit. Where I feel like in opera, except for in some very specific areas, like, that's not really welcome. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a big, like, hierarchy system and, like, just even a system of, of jobs in, in opera. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the maestro and the music director and the singers and the director and, like, you're also in service of like the composer and whether that composer is alive or whether that composer is Mozart or Puccini. And it's always like, 
you know, I just wrapped up Don Giovanni and it was interesting to be in the room, like in the beginning stages of the opera and like, remember that whole process and remember like this particular conductor was so kind and wanted to be collaborative and was like constantly saying like, if you need time, you know, if you, if you want to slow down, what tempo, you know, and even with all of his encouragement, the singers would sometimes have a hard time, like saying what tempo they know they wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think classical singers do have a really hard time taking ownership and they just, yeah, they want to be, like you said, in service of everybody else you know so I I wonder yes we'll say to that say respond to that and I also have another question yeah yeah well I I think like you know another piece of this puzzle that to me I know I feel like I'm pretty far away from the original question but whatever um (laughs) that's me welcome to me I'm like all over but I think another thing about this that like breaks my heart sometimes is that also singers are some of the most incredible artists the creativity that it takes to work under such like confines and so many heavy rules and still make something feel like it's your own and have like a heart connection to something. It's Mm. incredible that singers can do that. And for me, I'm very curious about a world where singers have more space to share those parts of, of their artistry and without fear, without, you know, not not just the fear of like being fired or whatever, but fear of being shamed or fear of people thinking, you know, poorly of them or whatever, like holding, sp- if we had a situation where we could hold space for each other and, and really consider like singers input in things, right, um, yeah. you know, I think it would be beautiful to work in a world where the singers didn't feel like they had to make themselves small to that long in the room. That. Yeah. Definitely. Because right now we are, we are literally the bottom of the totem pole pretty much. And yeah. it's weird because, you know, we're the ones out there moving the people. So we're the ones the actually doing the tightrope walk. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's our responsibility, you know? And, and so I, and I, I don't like either like black and white thinking of like, oh, the big bad administrators or the big bad music directors or whatever, because I don't think that's fair. But I, I do think about these things. And in yeah. my own, you know, venturing back into the world of auditioning, I'm being very selective about what I want to sing. Like, cause also that, that it's gotten really hard for me to just do whatever. <laughs> like it's gotten really hard for me to like, if my heart isn't in the story, if my heart isn't in it, like, I don't, I don't have the resources to, like, I don't yeah. want to disrespect the audience by, yeah. by taking on something that I'm not passionate. Yeah. Sometimes we get stuck in our ideas and creations, not knowing the next step. We all have so much creativity to offer, but can get tied in knots with decisions and the need for approval. EM2 Connects Business is to help you get untangled and discover your creative identity and vision. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald are the creators behind EM2. As ideators and performers, they have sung and taught worldwide. In the past few years, too many artists have asked them, what do I do next? What was their answer? Their answer was EM2 Connect. 
They are raising the collaboration to the power of two and on a mission to support, connect, educate, and inspire the arts community. From one-on-one coachings to creative collectives, they have the tools to help you make sense of your creativity. Head to their website at www.em2connect.com. That's www.em2connect.com to learn more about how you can build the creative world you want to live in. Yeah. It would it would be so, I think, helpful for me to and like exciting for me to hear like you talking a little bit about your team and like the collaboration in the pop space, like who who's on your team and who's in that room? Like, what are their roles and and how are how are you guys collaborating? What does that look like? Yeah. So it's morphed a lot because so for for Nisma, for the first record, everything was still remote because it was. Yeah. So for that, it was actually not as fun. <laughs> Because it was a whole lot of like emailing and zooming and emailing and zooming. So for but for that project, I had a team of five producers, and each of them, like some of them were teamed up together, kind of took on different songs. And I was kind of executive creative producing the whole thing because I had my vision for how I wanted things to pan out. But so uh, let's see, Alex Weston was one of the producers on that record. Frankie Rousseau and Dominic Mecki, they work together. They're incredible. Uh, Steve Wallace, who's actually also an operatic tenor, but he does like R&B beats and stuff like that and hip hop stuff. And cool. yeah, he's incredible. And he he was so wonderful too, in like, just like talking to me on the phone and talking about how we were working with the sound world and how classical it was going to be and how not classical it was going to be. And, and then Rocket Jackson, I think he goes by DJ Rico now. He's a DJ. He's actually working right now with bass baritone Will Liverman on the Factotum at Lyric Opera of Chicago. They're remaking uh, Barber of Seville together, set in a black barbershop with like R&B sounds and beats and stuff like that. So he, he was in on the Nisma record. Who else? Am I missing anybody? No, that's everybody for Nisma. Um, and then, uh, you know, the next record that is coming out in February was quite different because we were able to be in the same rooms with each other again. And this one, I didn't know it was going to be a record when I started it. I thought it was just going to be a single. And then I was like, maybe it's an EP. And then I was like, no, there are 11 songs. <laughs> um, so I... I sort of invited a lot of the same people back for for this experience, but I really wanted Object Permanence to be a sound world that existed from within my own head. And so I took on the kind of crazy project of trying to self-produce the, mo- the majority of it. So it, what that meant for this one was a lot of me struggling with technology <laughs> alone. And then there were some songs where I was like, okay, like I got so far with this, but I know that if I call Alex in, if I call Frankie in, they're going to take it to where I want it to be. And I'm okay. You know, I'm like interested in that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So then that, that's kind of the way that this next one came, came to be. But then from there, so there's this kind of like cool hybrid way of making music that's going on now because of the pandemic. So we did all of this stuff electronically back and forth. And then we started going to studios. So like part of this whole concept of this album is electronic music and organic sounds mixed together, right? 
and you know you have an idea of sort of what you want the organic sound to play but it's not like como escrito it's like I know I want this color I don't and then like the studio players come in and they sort of improvise in that color and you play together on like and and that's how a song gets created that's how the final version of it comes to be and how, what the, the trumpet player does you know or the drum player does might influence you know the way I want to sing a certain part or if I want to change a certain harmony or if I change the arrangement of a song so it's this living breathing thing it start we started with these like electronic sketches and then the person that I'm getting to who's like I would not exist without him it feels that way a lot <laughs> his name is Yad Asrar he's he's my mix artist and he is just so much more than that um, but he held my hand so beautifully through the whole process and really helped me learn as a producer and was very respectful about that I wanted to learn and that I wanted to really like have some ownership over production on a different level than in the first than in the first record and then he really helped me run with that in the studio so we brought in Will Miller who's a trumpet player for the band Whitney uh, we brought in Colin Kroom who's a drum player for the band Twin Peaks and also Whitney here and there and then Ziad played bass and the tracks really started to take a new shape in the studio once there were live elements incorporated in them. Another of my favorite collaborations on this next record is the song Water, which I wrote with my dear friend, Erica Dohi, who's a classical pianist. She's from Japan originally, but she's here in New York. And we actually met on Zoom in a meditation intensive. <laughs> That's so amazing. We, yeah, we both do these, like we've been doing them for like the whole two and a half years. There are these 40 long, 40 day long sadhana practices that our asana teacher and meditation teacher leads. And it's a focus on a different energy center kind of each time. And so she and I had been meditating together for like a year and a half or something and had never really met in person. But we were both musicians and both in New York. And so we decided to collaborate on this track called Water, kind of based on our experiences meditating and in having faith in just not knowing anything about anything and trusting that not knowing anything about anything is the right place to be. Um, and so what she did is she sat down, we talked on Zoom about a concept and we were talking about this idea of what we water will grow because our teacher had been talking about it. So we were like, okay, like maybe we work with that imagery and we, we come up with a way to kind of express that under this object permanence umbrella. And so she recorded a little demo of a piano thing in her apartment and sent it to me. And then I, this was composer land, wrote like a 40 track random Ellie choir thing over the top of it. And we were like, okay, cool, this is great. And then we went into the studio together here in Brooklyn at Figure Eight with another producer who I hadn't worked with before, but Erica had worked with named William Bertel. And he does a lot of stuff with like, oh gosh, I think it's Room Full of Teeth. That, that oh, okay, cool. Group. Yeah, so he's, and he runs New Amsterdam Records, which okay. is also in the classical music experimental-ish vein. So the three of us got together in the studio and took out all my singing bowls and made something totally singular and it's like I'm so proud of what we 
eventually did together. It was a feat of engineering <laughs> and a feat of, of brain power. But yeah, so that's that's a little bit of what what it's like to like create like that's that's kind of the process. It just kept ballooning into more and right. more community around the the creation. And it was so beautiful. And this is something that I I love about this new way of making music. It's like every single new like set of fingers in the pot totally changed everything. Right, right. The way that it and it never could be what it is if it was me alone in a little room. You know what I mean? Right, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, there's right. just so much beauty in that. And it's true of of like all the pop stuff. You know, even yeah. you see someone's face as like a solo artist, but they have an incredible right, right. behind what they're doing. And I think as opera singers, like, you know, it's it's a very different dynamic. And yeah, who would we be if we had that like Tribe, like we felt like we had like this yeah. people that have our back you know what I mean I mean yeah. it's, it sounds so exciting and it and it takes me back to the comment you made earlier about like not liking the black and white thinking that right we often have in the opera world about like you know the big bad administrators and the artists are over here and like I feel like we could learn so much from the experience you're describing in the pop world and that like we're we're all on the same team ultimately yeah. And, and it's like, our asses off. <laughs> we're all working our asses off. And like, I feel like sometimes, you know, we talk about taking ownership over our roles, but I think sometimes we can, in all the little corners of the field, like take ownership in the wrong, like take, take ownership in the wrong way where we feel threatened mm -hmm. if someone else shares their idea or is like, Hey, you're doing this thing this way. And it's awesome. But like, I was wondering whether if we changed blah, 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 like it might expand that and right. be even cooler. And like collaboration mm -hmm. isn't a bad word yeah and being wrong being quote-unquote wrong isn't bad either you know right it's like taking ownership without being territorial yeah well yeah. where my thought where my brain went when you were talking too is like to use like a not very like creative term but like almost like a networking situation where you are you know doing the work on a project and working with people that then know other people and this just like organic but like ever-growing network of people that sort of become part of this project and in a less you know I know I guess creative like thought you know a lot of times young artists are told like network you know meet with coaches you know work with directors and and things like that but we don't come to it from the space of and I should say for me, I, I recently sort of been thinking about how I entered a lot of those networking spaces and collaborative spaces with the mindset of like, I'm going to sing for you and I hope you like me and you will tell me the next thing to do instead yeah. of coming to those spaces as like, look at this thing that I'm working on or this thing that I'm singing and I would love your ears on it. And like, this just like abundance mindset of like, we can grow and we can like we can get all the cool people and like keep getting more cool people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, you know, this is where my, my woo woo kicks in, um, but like, I, I believe in this stuff because I experience it personally, but the biggest tragedy is an unquestioned thought. And, you know, I think that a lot of the times the thoughts running the show are coming from a scarcity place. Mm -hmm. where it's there is not enough for me if so and so is doing well that means I'm not doing well mm -hmm. if you know there's this comparative quality and I, I do think it you know is exploited often because 
of power. <laughs> but I mean, why the fuck do we sing if it's not to connect? Right. Why? Like, there's no reason to spend so much energy and time vibrating your body in space if it's not to vibrate something else. Right, right. Near you. And then it's like, you know, if that's what singing is and that's who we are, why is that exclusive to just the art form? Right. Why does that not include, you know, cultivating community, cultivating friendship? cultivating safe space for everyone to to grow and to be you know I think we we think we're being in service of the art form by being so controlling but in actuality we're more in service of ego when we're controlling we're more in service of our our perception of how well we're doing when we're in control or think we're in control but in in my opinion, a group of people actually serving a project, whether it's an opera or or an album that's new or whatever, there's no room for that. Mm-hmm. It's it's about more than absolutely everyone. And and when that community has been cultivated that way, I I really do feel like it's like really hard to describe. It's like there's a safety there. And, and it creates a different energy of what gets presented to an audience. Yeah. And then when that audience receives that, because energy is vibration. So our friendships are vibrations. Like any a smile that you give someone across a room shifts the way that, and it's not just woo-woo, it is biology. It shifts the chemicals in the brain and affects the way that the body is, the frequency with which a body is vibrating in space. And so if, you know, if the art project has a collaboration within it of people vibrating on that certain level, what gets sent to the audience automatically invites them into that vibration, right? And, and then like, I'm, I'm way out there. I know that, but it's okay. No, no, <laughs> so... no I've read, the, I've read the neuroscience that talks about this. It's like, yeah, why yeah. like choirs so cool, end up with their right? heartbeats, it their heartbeats so cool. in sync and stuff. Like it's, it's amazing. Yes. And it's like science, like, you know, it's really funny actually. Cause it's, it's measurable. It's a measurable thing. Yeah. And it's so fun to watch. Cause so in yogic circles, like this stuff has existed in texts for like thousands and thousands of years, but the science is finally catching up and like mm-hmm. having like meaningful explanation which is just I'm such a nerd about it um but it like I I really have strong theories about you know why the collective consciousness is less interested in opera these days Mm. because it's like if the vibration around the creation of the project is low because the collaboration and the community vibration is not gelling you know yeah right way that's interesting that's what the audience gets yeah totally so they're tired and that's what they feel you know that's so interesting I have often thought and I think like that opera singers like not totally that not that they're just innately like this or anything but like it's very ego-centered and it's not like about it's not about like the connection but I have to ask go and go back to like a practical-ish question because we're starting to do interviews now for season four, you know, we're, we're like coming like post pandemic ish world. And a lot of our guests are like, sort of have entered a new phase, which like many of us have, but my fear is that like, even within myself to hear like, 
oh, they had the pandemic to have all of this time and like no one had any projects. And so I just want to hit on like, what like sort of gave you the confidence to like reach out to these people that I'm sure some of them you didn't know what keeps you confident in your pursuit to like try different things and like maybe look dumb you know and you know what gives you the breath of time to continue to be in this pop world but enter re-enter opera too Mm. <laughs> like, we're definitely <laughs> we're definitely only asking for a friend <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand well I mean so first I will say like all of these journeys have been so painful in so many ways like there's been uh so much imposter syndrome so much like when when you're making something and you're saying your own words, it's like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. <laughs> like, you know, but you know, I I have to go my meditation practice, my meditation practice, my meditation practice, my meditation practice. It has changed everything. Absolutely everything. Just sitting and processing. And and for me, like, so I, I also want to be clear, like for me, meditation is not like sit in peace <laughs> like for the school of meditation that I study is radical acceptance and it's practice just like practicing your all vowel you know you start with three minutes you move to 10 you move to an hour whatever but there's an allotted time every day where you sit and without judgment you allow yourself to feel whatever you feel all the way no restraint and to me, meditating looks like me flailing around my room, sometimes hitting pillows, sometimes, you know, crying, sometimes laughing, sometimes being a total weirdo, but like just making space for the wildness in your spirit to exist because we get so busy in our daily life that we forget that we are impulsive creatures mm -hmm. and your impulses is it's a divine thing. In my opinion, it's, it, it's your, that is your creative soul. And if you don't make space for that to get loud, I'm not saying like, you know, you don't want to go to the grocery store and like wail at somebody, you know, <laughs> safe space, like <laughs> be alone, but feel the feelings all the way. And like, who are you when you love that you get angry? Who are you when you love that you have temper tantrums over the smallest stupid thing for no reason, that you have panic attacks, that you have anxiety, that you have this weird tightness in the bottom of your left lung because you have an emotional trauma living there? Like, can you love that part about yourself? Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing to do. I can't say that I 100% love every part of myself, but I'm meditating and practicing that for a short time each day. And what that does is it shifts, it shifts your perspective on what the priorities are, right? Right, right. And it, it makes room. So my, my meditation teacher says all the time, it is not your business what people think of you. It is not my business if someone doesn't like how I sang that aria. It is not my business if someone doesn't like my song, if someone thinks my song is dumb. It is not my business if you know, so-and-so doesn't hire me. My business is to be right here and do the best that I can right now 
with whatever the impulse is saying, as long as it's not an impulse that's causing harm. Mm -hmm. And like, once you get really clear on that, like everything else, you know, it kind of makes sense. And I'm not saying I feel that 100% of the time, but when I like, even just talking about it right now, I just feel so like settled. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) And I will say like, you know, probably like three hours ago, I was like, what am I doing? Who the fuck do I think I am? I have a show next week and I've never done a show like this with a band and I'm stupid to think I can do this and blah. And like crying to my husband about feeling like a total idiot and like my life means nothing. So, you know, but I think that's being human. Yeah. That's the nature of it. But, you know, again, also accepting and loving that about myself, like, oh, like cute little Ellie having an existential crisis. Like that's so sweet. Of course you are. Let's make some tea. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think existence, like human existence is a spectrum. Oh yeah. You know, and we are, we vacillate in that spectrum like a pendulum, you know, and not a very even or consistent one, even for that matter, you know, like to what you're talking about just reminds me of the practice of the artist pages in the artist way that I love the artist way Julia Cameron does. Yeah. And I did that over in the pandemic. And that was like, life changing for me too. It helped me to get in touch with like, my inner child who I had really repressed for a long time. I'm I'm resonating (laughs) very much with what you're saying. Definitely terms of those vibrations you're talking about yes well and it's important I feel like the more we can like talk about stuff like this too the more people like recognize their own you know because I I do think there's stigma around being open about these types types of things Mm -hmm. totally Mm -hmm. just another wall we're all gonna we're all gonna go meditate now (laughs) (laughs) I actually am (laughs) because I haven't yet Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. It was so great to have you. Yeah, uh, oh my gosh, thank you for we're having We're going to put all your stuff in the show links, but um, how where, how can people find you on the socials? Yeah, so Instagram, it's Ellie Case Music, K-A-C-E. Facebook is the same. And then Twitter, it's just Ellie Case. Awesome. Great. Yay. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me, really. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the My So-Called Opera Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep making more because this content creation shit ain't free, y'all, you can show us some love by rating and reviewing the podcast. This helps get the word out to more badass artists. Share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising and a free way to support us. Double win for empowering your colleagues and being a responsible follower. Buy us a coffee fuel our coffee obsession and our Instagram live coffee chats with a one-time donation of any amount or bust that starving artist myth by becoming a sustaining Patreon member. This option is so impactful to the ongoing creation of our podcast that we offer you early access to ad-free episodes and more. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us over on Instagram at Podcast. This podcast is edited by Joshua Wise and produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk. Stage Time is the professional hub for the performing arts and is a growing community of 4,000 plus opera singers and classical musicians, arts administrators, agents, production staff, and beyond. 
set up a launch-ready portfolio in under 10 minutes. A growing list of over 100 arts organizations accepts a stage time profile in lieu of a website URL. Unlike a static website, StageTime allows you to connect with collaborators, showcase your skills, source or be sourced as the right talent, and center your creative practice. StageTime is available on any web browser or on the App Store and on Google Play. Search StageTime to stay connected to colleagues, mentors, students, and friends from anywhere in the world. The arts industry is waiting for you on StageTime.